Um, but alienation is really a twofold phenomenon. And I think the way it's used colloquially is typically to describe boys or young men or girls or young women for that matter, who are isolated. And so that would be a kind of outer alienation. But the kind that I think I'm also writing about in my book is an inner alienation where a boy or young man is really, really struggling with trying to relate to himself. So often what I will hear is something about a kind of apathy um, and a lack of centeredness around goals, ambition, desires, and direction in life. Hello and welcome to Futures, Episode 2. I'm really excited to be with you today uh, to, to get into our first Futures Platform topic. We're going to be discussing Alienated Young Men with Dr. Rob Tominsky, and I'm super excited to get into this with him. Before I introduce Dr. Rob, I want to make sure that I am uh, introducing some background on this phenomenon. The Futures Platform, Future of Education Radar, has a variety of topics, as I mentioned in episode one, and these topics are either strengthening, they're weakening, or they're wild cards. And um, the topic that we're going to be discussing today with Dr. Rob Tominsky, Alienated Young Men, is a strengthening phenomenon, meaning that it's becoming more significant, and its sort of impact date on the future of education is actually between 2020 now and 2023. So this is very relevant, and this is um, very now in terms of the potential impact on the future of education. Um, I should mention that Futures Podcast is brought to you by Education House Finland, on podcast media, and last but not least, in partnership with Futures Platform. So some background on our topic. The latest economic crisis hit especially hard with younger people. In Southern Europe, the unemployment rate among the younger generations has almost reached 50% in some places, and there's been a growing feeling that the politicians have betrayed their promises. In several South European countries, a concept of 800 euros or around 1,000 US dollars generation has emerged, referring to well-educated young individuals, often male, who seem to have no chance of ever getting a job, which would pay enough, for example, to start a family. The growing popularity of populistic movements and even outright extremist groups can be at least partially be regarded as a consequence of the bitterness of young people. If young men's risk of alienation and marginalization increases, there is a possibility that they will increasingly seek to join political movements through which they can channel their bitterness. This can lead to societal instability, polarization, which have already manifested themselves somewhat. In the worst case, the dispossessed young men could be mobilized by an ambitious leader to overthrow legitimate government. I'm uh, going to introduce Dr. Rob Tominsky. He is the author of Male Alienation at the Crossroads of Identity, Culture, and Cyberspace. Dr. Rob Tominsky, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for inviting me. I look forward to, to talking with you today. I mean, most educators that are um, probably listening to this uh, have had, a, you know, it's very common for educators to look at student achievement data and break it apart by gender or to think about how to motivate some of our young boys in school. But in your book, um, one of the things that you wrote, and I'd love to jump into this with you is, and I quote, these boys and young men often have intellectual potential but are unmotivated by traditional academics. Instead, they divert their cognitive prowess toward technology, especially computers, video games, programming, and hacking. 
Um, Dr. Timinski, can you briefly describe what the alienated young men phenomenon represents and talk about how traditional education has potentially contributed to their sort of academic disengagement? So I'm going to answer your question and um, a, a little bit of a, with a little bit of a side detour of explaining about alienation. So it's an interesting word, and I believe it came to us from French. They have a word called alienate, and that for them in the 18th, 19th century meant insane. And an uh, alienist was actually what they called psychologists, even in English in the uh, late 19th and early 20th century. Um, and then Freud and Jung came along and we, we ended up with, with depth psychology. So, um, but alienation is really a twofold phenomenon. And I think the way it's used colloquially is typically to describe boys or young men or girls or young women for that matter who are isolated. And so that would be a kind of outer alienation but the kind that I think I'm also writing about in my book is an inner alienation where a boy or young man is really, really struggling with trying to relate to himself. So often what I will hear is something about a kind of apathy um, and a lack of centeredness around goals, ambition, desires, and direction in life. So, so in terms of the second part of your question about school, so I actually ran a school here in San Francisco for 14 years, and it was a school for children with special needs. So it's an it's a unusual slice of the population in that regard. But I learned a lot about boys and about what they need in order to learn. Um, and I think one of the things that I've continued to see even after I left the school and in my private practice with boys that I work with and young men I work with is the typical traditional classroom-based approach where there's a set curriculum often is as boys mature at odds with what their development needs. Um, most boys, and I'm certainly not I'm speaking here in a generality, so I'm, I'm open to criticism about this, but, but most boys are very active. They like to explore. They like to go on adventures. They like to test the environment, and they need a kind of environment that's going to support a range of physical activities and a, a range of, of physical endeavors in that regard. And, and that's often extremely difficult to condense into what we would think of as a curriculum that has to meet certain state requirements, or even in the private schools, often the curriculum that they use has to be tailored to, to sort of include, you know, everybody. And so you get a kind of common denominator that, that really does what, what seems to work best for, let's under the bell curve, the kind of the, the average kind of students. And that's often based on this very structured kind of curriculum that, that boys um, typically rebel about and young men also find frustrating when they go off to college. Yeah, in, in when you wrote about this sort of diversion toward technology, computers, video gaming, programming. What is it about the inner alienation that they're experiencing that pushes them toward these things? 
So I think it's, 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 that's a really wonderful question. And it's two things in my mind. One is, is that there's a kind of initial excitement about it. So it's something where you can actually feel like you're building something and putting something together. Um, you know, I hear a lot about Minecraft and, and, uh, you know, just the, the ways in which worlds can be built and how exciting that is. So there's something about building that I think is very, very, very attractive. Um, and I, I just had somebody recently in my practice tell me that he's also going to build his own computer. And this is a phenomenon that, you know, continues to mystify me a little bit because computers are relatively cheap now. Um, and, and so, uh, but it's the excitement, I think, of building something and then using it to explore. And the internet is really, um, I think, a place of exploration for a lot of boys and young men. But the other piece that I want to add quickly is there's this idea, and it's, it's going to sound a little bit like woo-woo, so I, I don't, don't, you know, uh, box me in as too Californian here, but there's, there's something about, uh, there's a concept in you in psychology called numinosity and and that's really about like like looking for meaning and a kind of meaning that glows and has a sparkle to it. It's that sort of thing, you know, any of us might experience, like looking at the comet that's in the sky now, where you look up and you're, you're kind of awestruck by seeing that. Well, there's something about the technology that, that really, for a lot of these boys and young men, taps into that search for something numinous, for something glowing, for something special, and sends them off on a lot of adventures and, and searches for treasure that can end in really bad ways, you know, like if they get into the dark net or they get on 4chan or 8chan or if they're on YouTube and they start off, you know, watching something that they're initially curious about, like political philosophy, but then uh, they go down the YouTube rabbit hole and end up, you know, hearing right-wing extremists you know, talk about white supremacy, that kind of thing. It makes sense. So, you know, you discussed the fact that a kind of canned, um, pre-programmed curriculum that, or curricula that's aligned to state standards or, you know, in international schools we're accredited, we have, uh, you know, sort of accreditation standards that we have to hit, uh, can, can be part of what is kind of pushing some uh, young men away from um, the, the education process. You, what are some suggestions, especially since you've had some experience in running a school, on how to kind of reset the scales a little bit and create some opportunities to, in a practical way, uh, better engage young men and to try to put something in place practically that's going to help to limit some of that alienation that you're describing? Well, some of it would involve asking them what they want, you, you know, so, so that's an interesting conversation to be having, right? Like, like what, what would you like? And I, I know when curricula are structured, um, often what teachers will try and do is, uh, in, in my experience, is they'll try and cover the structured piece as much as they can, but then have like wiggle room for something more creative to emerge. And, you know, there are only so many 
hours in a school week, as I'm sure you know very well. And so, so that's that's the tricky piece. But um, you know, when I I ran this school, one of the things that I noticed about these boys was just, you know, how how like they needed some kind of group activity together. And so I I asked a couple of them. I said, what you know, what would you like doing if we could do something that you know happened every Friday morning? And they came up with the idea of swimming. A lot of them didn't know how to swim. And that seemed like a reasonably good thing for us to try and do. And so we started a swimming program. We, we made an arrangement with a local pool. Um, we had the bus. We took the kids to the pool. We had teachers. You know, we had lifeguards. And um, that really seemed to help and terms of like meeting a need that they felt like was important to them, like learning how to swim, being in a different environment, having fun with one another. And, and it was a bit of an adventure. So it ticked off a lot of those boxes that I mentioned earlier. There's two things that pop into my brain when I hear you say that, Dr. Tibinski. The first is, you know, regardless of gender, um, treating your students as equals in the learning and allowing them to have some sort of voice and choice in the path of things that they learn will benefits everyone. So that seems like a really practical thing that although we talk about it in education, I feel like coming abroad, it's been much easier to, to try to like diversify the curricula and bring in subjects. For example, I felt really passionately about getting uh, financial literacy going in my school this past year. Mm. Um, even with kids in KG about learning needs versus wants, that was something that if I was in the state of Indiana where I'm from, it would have been more difficult to fit that into mm -hmm. the curricula where there's way more, in, in terms of being a U.S. curriculum school abroad, it's way more flexible to do that. And then, you know, the second thing that popped into my head when you're describing, uh, you know, this sort of um, taking the kids swimming is that it's not something that um, adults would think about without asking students. Like, you know, I think we adults, when we try to pretend and assume for children, come up with these things that we think they want to learn, and then they really aren't that tremendously interested. And then so the interest wanes, and then it doesn't become that that successful or transformative. And guess what? No technology required for swimming get in a bus, go to a pool, have proper supervision, and they're getting, you know, um, you know, physical activity and wellness out of that too. So that's a really, really interesting example. And that is, if I would have wrote down a list of a hundred things and said, what, what thing would they have said they wanted to learn? You know, that was not the thing that popped into my head. Yeah. 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 These were inner city boys. And, and I, I think for them, the idea of a pool was also, like I said, it got a little bit of that adventuresome uh, aspect going for them too. I think what you're saying is so interesting about, you know, like both talking and, and trying to meet students where they're at. And I, I have a, a patient now, I mean, I, I can't go into a lot of details, of course, but, but this person is, is studying art and, um, you know, let's say broadly, he, he fits some of the categories of your interest in having me talk today. And, um, 
Um, one of the problems he's noticed in the, the, the school that he's attending is, again, this kind of rigidity about what has to be covered in the curriculum. And, and he's finding that very confining. And so I said to him, I said, well, okay, you, you know, how many hours a week do you have to spend in school and do homework? And we figured that out. And then I said, well, what if you took another four or five hours and just did what you want creatively. And he thought that was like the best. I, I mean, I, I know it sounds a bit simplistic, but there was something about structuring it so that he could then see like, okay, if I finish this, then I can do this other thing, which is all my own. And again, that, that goes back to part of what we're talking about. Like if you're trying to address alienation, something about a felt ownership in your own experience is so important. And I would assume then also that part of being alienated is not feeling that ownership in anything, not feeling that ownership in what you learn, in how you live, in what your work is, what your job is, what your future is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that kind of uh, lack, it's, it's a disempowerment, a disenfranchisement. I mean, I'm sure there's a whole list of dis-something words we could come up with, but, uh, but it really is a lack of agency. And, and I think that's part of the, you know, and I think of these alienated guys, part of what I think is also an epiphenomenon and working with them is their apathy. So often they come in for what looks like like a, a bad depression. And, and it's true, they are depressed, but often a, a, a large component of the depression is apathy. So it's a lack of interest in, in all the things that, you know, you think a young person might want to set their sights on and start exploring. What do you... Would, if, if someone were to say, uh, like, I'm a parent of three boys... Uh, forget the educational side of being a, a principal or a teacher. Um, what would be some of the things that you would say to parents who are raising younger boys? They're not young men yet. They're young boys. And some of the things that parents should be really mindful of in, in trying to make sure that as parents, we're providing our students with the right, our children, I should say, with the right sort of nurturing environment at home that's going to be conducive to them not being alienated as they get older. Right, right. Well, my my hunch would be you're you're probably a a, a really good dad <laughs> to have. So, but 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 that's part of the problem is is fathers is fathers fathers fathers. I can't you know, uh, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but but fathers engaging their their young male children, their adolescent boys. I mean, I've heard so many heartbreaking stories of good fathers up until about age 10 or 11. And then when the boy goes into puberty and adolescence and starts to get snarky and there's pushback, the, the dad gets tired and the dad will often back off. That's exactly the wrong thing, right? The dad should get more engaged at that point, even though it's tiring, even though it's going to be uh, not an easy path to go on, because that's what the boys need at that age. 
And so I, I think these these kinds of things, you know, from an older man, uh, and there are families, obviously, who don't have a, a father in them. I mean, many of the boys at the school I worked at didn't have a dad who was present, that, that they were being raised by single moms or often grandparents. And, and so what we often tried to do is find them a big brother, find them a mentor in the community, find them maybe a coach who would take an interest in some athletic interests that they had. And, and so, so that, that male presence is so important. It's almost like an initiation in a way. And I, I don't want to say this is all gendered by any means, but being able to see an older person of your same who looks like you think you could look in the future and have them take an interest in you in a deep way, that's transformative. It really can be. Yeah. And, and if you're in a home where, you know, your father is present, there's a very tangible, close and near example of that. But yeah, I think that you raise a really interesting point uh, in terms of if that isn't something that's present in the home or it's not healthy, what's being seen in the home. You know, I, I often think about as uh, a child, my whole sort of understanding of what a relationship was, was based off of my mom and my dad. That that was the construct of a relationship that I I understood by everything I experienced through them. And there really weren't any other relationships that I had been exposed to prior to becoming an adult. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Dr. Tominsky, you mentioned the, the sort of simple shifts of just actually asking students what might be something they want to learn and finding some space for them um, to interact with whatever that, that learning is, um, which I think while serving the purpose of help, you know, helping to alleviate, alleviate the alienation of young men would, would serve everyone very well. Um, what are some other things that you think schools could practically do that would help lessen this phenomenon and lessen the impact of alienated young men on the future of education as we go forward? Well, that, that's, that's like, uh, I, I would say it's a million dollar question, but it, it's like even bigger than that. So, uh, so I'll, I'll do my best, but um, it might, might be a tiny, a touch above my pay grade. Okay. So, um, but, but I think like, again, like, like just trying to think about group activities that brings guys together. Um, and again, I'm not trying to say that boys only need to be with boys, but if they're in a, uh, you know, a mix, setting with boys and girls, often there's a sense of the boys then feeling like, well, how can they group together without it turning into a bad thing or without it turning into them being perceived as troublemakers or rule breakers? So, so something about like, I, I guess in a, again, kind of a popular way we think of as male bonding, I think that is really, really important. I, I also like, I find your question like I, when we were setting up the interview, I, I just did a quick search in the U.S. and um, the National Education Association said that in 2019, 77% of public school teachers, so that's K through uh, 12, 77% are women. Wow. Mic drop. Like th that. Yeah. That is, I, if you would have asked me to guess the number, I wouldn't have guessed it to be that high. I would have said maybe 60, 65 tops, but I mean, you're yeah. nearing and, 80%. And it's, yeah, it's, it's going up. 
Um, that's the projection is, is that it's going to become increasingly female too. And that's a problem. I, I mean, that is really a problem for educators to address and, and to think about like, what is it about the profession that is, is not attracting a lot of male interest? And what is it that can be done there to change it and well. to increase I mean, I'm sure you would, with your background, would be able to assess this far more effectively than I. But I mean, to be honest, when you look at it from just a very practical perspective, my mom was a teacher for 30 some years. So it was just very natural for me to get into teaching and then continue my career in education. Um, But the pay, it sucks. The, it, it is high stress. There is no just sit at the desk and take the day off, you know, where, where if you're in an office job, you may have an easy day because of certain meetings. It, and then, you know, it's the only job where we know, it's the only job in my mind where we know there's a global shortage of people who want to do it, but we make it increasingly more difficult and more stressful. And we may provide more anxiety by labeling teachers, evaluating them rather than taking more of a cognitive coaching slash supportive approach to their development. Like the reality is they're a diminishing resource and we don't treat them that way. And it's not about money. I mean, I'm finishing my PhD, you know, right now and I'm finishing my research and, you know, I'm looking at organizational commitment and it's not money when I'm doing my qualitative end in these interviews that teachers are saying is the problem. A lot of it is just not getting recognized in an informal way by, by feeling cared for. And so you forget getting men in the profession. We're not getting anyone in the profession right now. Right. 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 No, I, I, I hear you. I, I mean, there, there is a way in which, which, uh, you, you know, you think of educators really getting the, the short end of the proverbial stick. Uh, and it's been happening for a long time. I, I, I mean, I think that that's true too, but you know, you know, I, I, I think the other thing that I looked up because I knew we were going to, so now I'll, I'll do it as a guess. So if I, I'm going to ask you in 2017, um, what would you say the percentage of college students who were women was? In 2017? So two years ago, or three years ago, yeah. I, honestly, I would say 55%. Well, you're almost spot on. It was 56%, but that translates into 2.2 million fewer men than women oh in colleges. So then, you know, when you're talking about those social norms around male bonding post K-12, you're at a huge deficit to, to have that happen also. And there's some bad behaviors and bad things that can be picked up, you know, from not having that sort of normal social interaction. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's my last question to you before yeah. we wrap up and you let people know um, where to contact you if they want to learn more about your interesting work. And that is, how does the quarantining, the COVID experience in your mind have an implication on this alienation, right? I mean, I've seen um, a massive change in my own behavior, um, in my own feelings, and the, the crests and the troughs of how I feel. And granted, 
you know, we're really locked down in the UAE. I mean, we, it has not been, you know, the sort of, hey, everybody wear your mask if you like sort of treatment here. You're fined thousands of US dollars if you don't walk out of your door with a mask on. So it has oh. been very, very hardcore from the jump. Um, but I just wonder what your sort of, um, you know, belief is in terms of how this sort of whole COVID era is going to developmentally impact boys and young men um, because we don't really know. I mean, and, and there's obviously, if there's going to be nine more weeks of e-learning in some of these states and some of these districts, it's just more time for people to get pulled into technology to potentially get pulled into the dark web, et cetera. So what, what's your sort of take on how um, you see things post-COVID uh, in terms of young boys, young men, and some of the, the challenges that we're going to be facing in that regard? Well, I think they're going to be significant. I, I mean, I, what I'm hearing, so I, I think I would break your question into two parts. So there's the, the current situation, and what I'm hearing currently um, from the boys that I work with is that it, it's just the boredom the level of boredom with Zoom and, and tele-ed and with, you know, trying to focus on the screen, some of them six hours a day, which to me sounds almost cruel, <laughs> um, that, 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 that is really taking a, a, a toll right now. And so in terms of mental health, and so what I'm seeing again, the, the thing with boredom, right, that's a common human experience. We all feel bored. They're all things that we have to do that are boring and we have to kind of just be with it in a way but if you have too much boredom the problem is is that then it can sort of sit, shift into apathy and that kind of apathetic depression that i was talking about so that's a big problem for current mental health issues i think down the road in terms of you know really what you're asking about I, what i'm hearing again and reading is that 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 a lot of basically learning is being lost that the you know there is some effectiveness to to doing the zoom education and all of that but it's not the same as the in-person education by any means and and that people are beginning to think about like a lost year, you know, and so uh, a lost grade even. So for when you're talking about a kid, that's a lost grade. And uh, you're starting to see like even colleges are thinking this way, you know, that, that there's something like that they're, they're going to have to alter their admission standards, that they're going to have to take into consideration, you know, if somebody's in 11th or 12th grader now, how do you, how do you evaluate their application for, you know, in consideration of a lost year? And so I think educationally, there's going to be a lot of ground that's lost and it's going to have to be made up. Well, in, in, to me, the easiest solution to that, right? It, 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 it's, it's pretty simple. Change the goalpost, move the goalposts. Like if we're saying that common core standards say by the end of grade 12, kids should do X, we take professionalism and we reevaluate those and we, we shift. And th the thing is you hear people talking about lost learning and catching up. I think that's the wrong approach. It should be adjusting our trajectory, not trying to accelerate kids back to some point that developmentally doesn't make any sense anymore. And mm -hmm. to your point, like 
I think like the ricochet and the, the app, like one of the things that we've been talking about as educators is there's going to be such a uh, tremendous amount of mental health challenges coming back to school, whenever that is, wherever you are in the world, right? And then such a shortage of trained mental health experts to help sift through that. I mean, most schools have counselors, but a lot of them are just college advisees. You know, they're helping them figure out their admissions process. And um, the mental health uh, educators, the mental health professionals, um, there's not enough of them in schools. And I really worry about just everyone's readjustment, getting back to this, people feeling social anxiety about coming back to school. Mm-hmm. How do they deal with even simple things like that, let alone some of the bigger things that may be gone undiagnosed or unchecked over substantial periods of time? I'm not trying to sound the alarm, but you know, it's like, this is all such a mess. And I think <laughs> like, you know, it, it's very typical to see people want to just get things quote unquote back to normal. But I don't think there is a normal anymore. I think the normal has gone and it's pretty scary um, to watch this unfold. And even to watch it with my own kids, my own boys, um, how they, how are they going to adjust to coming back to school? My one son was in um, pre-K. So, you know, he, there's no way that my pre-K child got the same quality of online learning. He couldn't because, you know, that, Teaching little guys, that's a whole different thing. You can't do that through a screen, especially to your point for six hours. You got to be kidding me. So, um, yeah, I I really appreciate uh, all of your thoughts and all of your insights on this phenomenon. Um, I'm really excited uh, to get people's feedback on this. Uh, Dr. Timinski, where can people learn more about you or get in touch with you if they want to learn more about some of the things you discussed today? Sure. So, so they can contact me um, by email. So, so or or through the Twitter um, uh, account, account, which is at Rob Tominsky. And then my email is um, uh, this is the old fashioned part of me because I'm older. Uh, is Robert Dot Tominsky at UCSF. Edu. Um, those are probably the two best ways. And then I do have um, two books. There's one on, on theft and stealing, which was my first book published in 2014. And the other uh, came out two years ago, which is on male alienation. And those you can get on that, you know, I won't mention their name. The Evil Empire <laughs> website. Right. The, the Evil Empire website or the publisher. The publisher there you go. Is, is Routledge. Um, so Routledge, R-O-U-T-L-E-D-G-E. I'll get both books in the uh, in the show notes so people can can get access to those. And awesome. um, I really appreciate your time. Uh, and I really appreciate you shedding some light on this. And I'm sure there will be parents who listen to this who are going to be more than interested to get in touch with you to learn more or ask questions. Uh, right. Dr. Tominsky, thank you so much. I will be back next week with another episode of the Futures Podcast. And next week, we're going to be talking about the collapse of language learning, a really interesting topic that I think has a massive impact on educators as technology starts to be everywhere. What happens to the idea of students being multilingual and learning language in general? So that'll be our topic for next week. Um, I'd like to, on behalf of Dr. Tominsky, say thank you for listening. And again, thank you to On Podcast Media, Education House, Finland, and of course, Futures Platform. We will be in touch next week. Have a great week, everybody. 